Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. Here are the nominees for Best Actress in a Leading Role. Susan Sarandon in Dead Man Walking. Elizabeth Shue in Leaving Las Vegas. Sharon Stone in Casino. Meryl Streep in The Bridges of Madison County. Emma Thompson in Sense and Sensibility. And the Oscar goes to Susan Sarandon in Dead Man Walking. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today I am joined by a uh, comedian, sketch comedian, uh, singer, I've seen you sing, uh, David Brennan. Uh, he has performed at Just for Laughs in his sketch group, uh, The Imponderables. He is a Gemini nominee. Uh, Gemini is what the Junos used to be called. Uh, uh, Bill and Sons towing what what is bill and sons towing oh that was a web series we did for uh, two seasons uh with the group where we played uh guys br- brothers who ran a tow truck company and uh nicholas campbell from da vinci's inquest was our dad <laughs> oh i love that so much i i i'm still so fascinated so the imponderables that you guys were clearly a very successful sketch group who were some of the members of this sketch group Eric Toth, John Smith, and Tony Lombardo. Uh, we're all from Hamilton, uh, but we're all based in Toronto. We were together for 12 years. Wow. And you were Gemini nominated. Gemini nominated for, for like an album? It was uh, taping for the 10th anniversary of the Canadian Comedy Awards. Uh, oh, yeah, so Gemini's, uh, it's uh, not the Junos. It was uh, formerly the, the TV Awards, but they've amalgamated that now into the Canadian Screen Awards, I guess. Oh, oh, so Gemini oh. Genies used to be separate, but now that's that. But Junos is still that Canadian music now. Nothing like Wait, that. Wait, so the Junos used to be the Genies and the oh, Gemini. No. <laughs> so confusing. Uh, <laughs> Junos is separate and has never changed. The Canadian Screen Awards are now what used to be the Genies and the Geminis. Uh, well, I mean, Canada, listen, eh? it's, Can- it's Canadian <laughs> entertainment. Nobody watches it. It's my bureaucracy. <laughs> Oh God. Well, that, that good for you. Oh, that, that is fun, so yeah. crazy. It's just the reason why, the reason why I, cause I, I usually don't go too deep into people's credits, but the reason why I find this so fascinating is because David, the first time that I met you was in Ottawa, about yep. like a year, year or two ago, something like that. And I remember you were performing at a very high level and I never met you before or heard about you. Yeah. And I was like, who is she? And then I remember somebody was like, oh, like he's been to Just for Laughs. He was yeah. like a sketch person. And then one person was like, oh, I heard he's from the States. And like everybody, there was like this David Brennan lore. And I was like, who is this person? And I I never asked you because I liked the mystique. Right. I think um, I remember talking to you. I remember that conversation. I think you said something like, why aren't you like doing this as in stand-up? Yeah. And I was like, I'm trying, you know. <laughs> It's just because, you know, like no offense to the Ottawa comedians, it's just it's a very shallow talent pool. It's yeah. not like a, it's not like, you know, Toronto or or Vancouver or Montreal yeah. or something like that. And so when you see somebody in Ottawa that is performing uh, well, you're just kind of like, what are you doing here? <laughs> oh, kind, Kyle. And, and uh, when you are back in town, it is absolutely one of my favorite times. And I tell people this all the time. I said, in my three years here in Ottawa, like getting back into stand-up and crafting a new act, and uh, I said, no one has more new, polished material when he comes back to Ottawa than Kyle Brownrigg. And, mm-hmm. uh, thank you. And thank you. <laughs> like, that's the mad respect, right? Thank you. I always try to uh, sort of keep it fresh because... I have had a lot of, I've been very fortunate enough to have a lot of like television opportunities, but yes. with that comes when you put something on TV, it, it like it's burnt and it's yeah. gone and you can't use it anymore. Like yeah. on, I mean, in, uh, like in a, in another television capacity, I mean, yes. so I, you know, I'm forced to write a lot, which frankly, if you think about it, do you ever notice? And I mean, you know, you, you perform in the clubs and stuff like that. Do you ever notice? It's like the comedians always have the same act Mm -hmm. for like 10 years Mm -hmm. and you go, 
isn't the point of being a stand-up is about writing? And yep. it's like, you got to keep writing and changing and doing new material. Because if you don't, you get stale. Absolutely. Anyway. Uh, yeah, no, I, I just listened to it. There was a Seinfeld uh, interview on PBS. And he just said, uh, you know, Baker's got to have like fresh donuts. Like you need a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ex no, exactly. And it just, I, I, I always find that so fascinating and, and, or, or whenever like, um, not just, not just comedians, this is just a, cause I used to be a professional illustrator um, yeah. and, and artists in general, whatever art it is, whether it's, it's singing or acting or comedic or comedy or whatever. It's like, I find a lot of people, they don't, grow as artists they don't work on their craft and then they mm -hmm. complain about how they're not going anywhere in the industry and it's like well yeah like yeah. you're not putting the work in you're not changing you're not evolving especially because in what, oh especially yeah. in canada because it is very sink or swim and also it's like if people if if uh people in the industry maybe don't love where you're at right now it's like you gotta switch it up because if you know. don't you're gonna sink Absolutely. You know, like, can you host? Can you act? Can you can you work clean? I mean, if you're yeah. going to be like Canada's edgiest comic, uh, wow, that's a that's a that's a shallow stream in a way. <laughs> I think that's the goal with most straight white guys, for <laughs> sure. Too much in Ottawa, too. Yeah. <laughs> but now you're living in Ottawa, but you were living in Toronto. You live with your wife now in Ottawa, right? That's right. Yeah, we came out here for her uh, school and then work. And uh, it seemed like a really good shot. I was in back in Hamilton after Toronto and doing some stuff in news. Um, uh, but I sort of lost mm. my way after the troupe. We finished up and uh, Ottawa was the perfect fresh kind of clean start and again i started stand up when i was 17 and at yuck yucks in hamilton and uh it feels like a really cool circular time travel like now back at yucks in ottawa and you know absolutes uh, good to me as well here uh it's it's all coming back around and then i get to see like you know comics i i saw when i was like 17 come back to the club or like brian mm -hmm. hat or you know like a manola zontana love brian like that the best yeah so it's uh, it's been really cool. I'm so happy to be back, like you know, at this full time and still doing some hosting and some storytelling stuff and trying to keep myself entertained. But uh, but yeah, and then you know, getting to know guys like you, Kyle, and you mentioned TV earlier. I have to I have to say congrats. You got the John Door uh, show coming out soon. Thank you. Uh, I just watched the first episode. I'm really looking forward to your uh, your spot. I'm curious what they're going to use because anybody listening, I do have a, I, I have a, a spot on a TV show called John Doerr's um, Humor Resources. And he's like an HR manager for stand-up comedians. And he basically calls you out on your behavior and mm -hmm. you kind of have to defend yourself. It was the weirdest type of thing <laughs> I've ever done for television because okay. it was essentially improv. Yeah. And the things that they're going to bring up, I don't, because I did an hour hour and 20 with him and they wow. whittle it down to like six minutes so i don't know I'm what they're going to use yeah but anybody listening check it out on cbc gem uh if you're listening in the states i don't know how you can get it but i mean you know it's the internet i'm sure you can find it <laughs> uh okay so we are here to discuss the 1996 yes. win for susan sarandon um this is her first and only oscar which is which is shameful mm -hmm. but she is a very rare person actress that was actually nominated only for uh, lead roles, which um, is not as common. Mm -hmm. My personal love affair with Susan Sarandon is in the TV show Feud. Love that show. Oh. And uh, this was a very, very interesting year for me because <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be completely honest with you. Most of the time when I do this podcast, there's usually like two or three movies that I really like. Two that are kind of just like meh, and then one that I absolutely hate. I actually really liked all of these movies, except for one of them I didn't care too much for, but I liked it in the end. Ah. And this was a very Strong. fun year for me to watch. Strong year. Yeah. I would I would I would definitely say that um <laughs> I would definitely say that my least favorite of all of them was probably leaving Las Vegas. Uh, I didn't laugh once. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the story as, yeah. as a movie on its own, but um, let's just jump right into Emma Thompson and Sense and Sensibility. Sure. So first of all, this movie was the entire cast of Love Actually. And <laughs> The thing that really threw me was that it's directed by Ang Lee. Amazing. 
gotta say, this man has quite the portfolio. And oh. just, he has such a, like, range, yeah. you know? Because, okay, we, we have Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. We yeah. have Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. We have Life of Pi. We have Sense and Sensibility. The Hulk. The, yeah, like, just, there is <laughs> such a range of, I mean, he's he's clearly extremely gifted. He um didn't even read... um jane austen's book he just what? read the screenplay and he just really liked it and he insisted that emma thompson obviously because she was the one that wrote the script which is amazing which is she is the first what? actor to ever win yes. for acting and writing amazing an oscar i mean and uh fun fact about this she was writing uh this on like an apple computer uh, and she lost the file uh, of the script and then she brought it to actor steven comedian steven fry really who's a, a computer expert and it took him seven hours to retrieve the script and save sense and sensibility so when she was receiving her oscar for best writing she had to thank him mm. for it and she's like i hate that i have to thank you in this speech but i have to <laughs> Thank um, it Best Buy. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sense and Sensibility. So, basically, it's just the story about um, a bunch of unwed women having like love affairs with dukes and lords, yeah. and they need to be married off. And dad's, uh, dead. dad's died, and yep. all the money is with that sort of other side of the family. Yeah, where because it went to the son, and yeah. then he was like, "By the way, he's like, please give my daughters their dowry and like a lot more money." And then like that guy's wife was like, "Absolutely not." <laughs> so then that was kind of the she was like the villainess of the movie. Oh, good. Um, and then they have and, to move into a, what is called a cottage for them, but looks like yeah. a million dollar <laughs> summer estate. These nice <laughs> folks let them live on their cottage on the grounds. Yeah, right. That was them like slumming it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would definitely say that the person that really stole the movie for me was Kate Winslet. Amazing. Uh, she was amazing in this movie. This is her first Academy Award nominated performance for Best Supporting Actress. And um let's okay. Anyway, so let's let's jump into Emma Thompson. So Hugh Grant is her love interest. Apparently, the like estate of Jane Austen was absolutely against this because Hugh Grant was like too good looking. Yes. And basically, uh, he is like the forbidden love because he basically if he if he marries Emma Thompson, he's like slumming it. Yes. Okay, so Emma Thompson's. Academy Award nomination. This was a very, I would say, subtle performance. Yeah. Because she would, she had to be very poker face throughout the whole movie because she was a character that kept everything to herself. Suffering in silence. Suffering in silence, exactly. And, um, you know, I, 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 she carried the movie. She was definitely the most likable character. I definitely found that she had like her moments whenever she, revealed that like to Kate Winslet finally that like Hugh Grant was already engaged to somebody else and yeah. she's like well why didn't you tell me and she's like I couldn't and then she so she did have some like breakdown moments and her character was supposed to be very strong and uh but you know in terms of like a wow academy award performance I don't know about that yeah it's not the kind of performance the Academy usually says like, hey, that's that's the one like because it's so she's so contained. And I think just knowing that going in about the screenplay, it's like she's really quarterbacking the scene, but also like really <laughs> letting like Kate Winslet shine. And uh, her scenes with Alan Rickman are great. The couple that they have. Um, so I think it's kind of easier to kind of forget that she's kind of killing it this whole movie. It's just so understated. Uh, yeah well exactly and that's kind of what the role called for i guess that is very true 
I think I just, whenever I think of like an Academy Award nomination, yeah. I always just think like who can cry the most for three hours. And you know? this year we're all, all five, we got some good tears in all five of these movies. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think the funniest, uh, I had tears of laughter whenever Kate Winslet sprained her ankle and suddenly became a cancer patient. She is, uh, I think they said that she's carried by three of the different men in the movie, like picked up and carried. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know this 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 type of role for Emma Thompson. It's very similar to something that she had played in Howard's End, which right. she had won the Academy Award for. And it's this is this is that kind of like fancy English thespian, you know, like technical type of acting. And um, there's something about Emma Thompson that's very like like mate. What's the word? Like like not like like motherly you were gonna she's, say maidenly or something yeah i was like gonna say matronly i was like you know like she's very like a she has such a nurturing type of personality or like she just she plays a mom so well even yeah. when she's not a mom yeah and i think she's quite a bit older than the character like in the book yeah supposed to be but yeah. i think like she just has that sort of natural thing and and I, I don't, she's, I, again, she sets up Kate Winslet's performance so well that maybe mm-hmm. like Kate Winslet kind of like stole a bit of the thunder here, but that, mm-hmm. that's the role, right? Like she's the sobbing and crying and kind of uh, is having the sort of this, these younger person love interactions where she's just, you know, had met Hugh Grant and then Hugh Grant's like gone for a lot of the picture. Yeah. Well, like he basically sees her in the stables at like the first, let's say 40 minutes. And then you don't see him again until like two hours. And like, yeah, she falls in love with him because he's like kind to the youngest daughter. And there's, she's so blown away by a guy from that era being like nice and kind of soft that she just falls completely in love. Yeah. (laughs) I I think that um, as I get older, uh, well, I'm like 31. uh, I'm an older bride. (laughs) But as I get older, I definitely enjoy boring movies more and more and more. Like this movie had my attention from start (laughs) to finish. Because on the outside, you're like, oh, God, this is going to be a complete nightmare. But like watching it, it was like I was hooked. Absolutely. It's it's got all these great little like scenes in the corner pocket, like uh, Hugh Laurie even just kills it. He's so funny as that grumpy other like husband guy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I love him! Yeah, love of course. him. And then like the other other supporting uh, older women in it, they're just they're um, Elvis Taunton, Yeah, yeah, they're gossiping and uh, just trying to pry this information out of Emma Thompson. It's it's so great. Well, I think that that's actually very true. But you were kind of saying that like Emma Thompson was setting up all of the other characters because if you think about it, she really was the glue yeah. sort of holding the whole entire picture together. So her character was absolutely essential Mm -hmm. so this this movie also by the way was like a huge box office success and i think that that probably had to do with her nomination for a little bit more Mm -hmm. of a subtle yeah yeah Um, we're not talking the best picture nominee i don't believe for this yeah i mean i would say because of ang lee but like you know one thing that I thought was really interesting that somebody pointed out was that like uh, best director and best picture are basically the same thing. Yeah, but this is a weird year. I'm sorry, I think I just got that wrong. I think Sense was nominated, but our Dead Man Walking and uh, uh, the other one, uh, Bridges, I don't think they're nominated, but their directors are. Uh, you know, it's a weird year here. There's a lot of yeah. yeah. I know that. I don't. I don't. I think the only thing that Bridges got was just. Meryl. I think it was just acting. Um, I'll have to double check that. But, you know, I what I loved about Sense and Sensibility is it was really weird seeing Snape be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's great. Yeah. He's old too. <laughs> yeah, he oh no, for sure. Um, but you know, overall, like I love Emma Thompson. I think that I've seen this type of kind of performance from her before in Howard's End a little bit, and she won an Oscar for that and this kind of seemed like something that she was comfortable playing and yeah, like a subtle performance. She had obviously some moments where she, like when she found out that um, Edward was engaged and, mm-hmm. and when she had to explain to Kate Winslet, like that she knew the whole time, but she had to keep it to herself. And yeah. there was a lot of strength and conviction in her character and she played it exactly how she should have. It's just maybe just not the type of Academy Award 
nominated role that I'm used to. Agreed. Yeah, and she gets the main message of the movie across, like her her part, like it's the head versus the heart, right? And and yeah. everyone around her, like Kate Winslet especially, is the heart, and she's like, no, the head. But then when she finally, you know, Hugh Grant comes back, and then she finally gives in, and she balls. It's like it's very cathartic. It all it all works very well. <laughs> she was she was gross crying. Gross crying. When he, <laughs> she was like, <gasps> it was <laughs> because of the clothes. It was probably a corset. <laughs> She's being strangled. No, for yeah. sure. it was. It's it's interesting because I'm pretty sure that like for a while, Kate Winslet at the beginning of her career played because there was this in English class we had to watch Hamlet. Yep. And Kate Winslet was in it playing of Ophelia. Yep, she is. Yeah. And she also was like wearing like an incredibly tight. It's like yeah. you know how um, Kira Knightley basically like lives in the past in all of her movies. <laughs> It's kind of like Kate Winslet at the beginning of her career. That was kind of her trajectory for absolutely. a while. Yep, absolutely. That period uh, stuff. Oh, apparently Kate Winslet didn't even want to play, because oh, she was yeah, supposed yeah. to play the woman that Hugh Grant was engaged to for five years or That's something. Right. That's right. And she just showed up being like, yeah. oh, I accidentally brought the script for Marion. And then they were like, Oh, and she's like, I can read it if you want. <laughs> I love like you hear the stories like that. Like they like, oh, I actually they kind of fib their way in. And I can't imagine the kind of trouble you might get in, like if you actually pull that off, but you're not like well known. <laughs> like you'll never yeah, be at this casting agency again. Like Yeah. <laughs> she's like, Come on, I pulled my tits out in Titanic. I think you Let's could let me it. read for Marianne. Yeah. They're like, for sure. Um Okay, so let's talk about Elizabeth Shue in Leaving Las Vegas, a.k.a. the woman who breastfeeds Homelander in The Boys. (laughs) Okay, so Elizabeth Shue. This is not Adventures in Babysitting, Elizabeth Shue. That's right. I've never seen that movie. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. I've never seen that movie. Um, So... One thing I thought was interesting about Leaving Las Vegas, this movie was not at all what I thought it was. So Leaving Las Vegas is a movie about a man, uh, Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm. who chooses to drink himself to death, actively mm-hmm. chooses to drink himself to death, and finds a hooker named Eliz- Elizabeth Shue. <laughs> named Elizabeth. Are you Elizabeth Shue? <laughs> His first day on the strip. Yeah. she's like, He's like, wow, can I get another? No, she's... um. She's, uh, you know, kind of a hooker with a heart of gold. Yep. This is a, a very familiar trope that we've seen in Hollywood. And, you know, another kind of, uh, it's just, okay, before we get into the plot of this movie, I just, I've done this podcast. Now, this is the 22nd episode. And there have been so many episodes where the women, the roles, it's always like, the adulterer, the hooker, the wife, the mother, the mother who is an adulterer, or the mother who has to become a hooker. It's like, oh my God, could we please just come up with some architect? Mm. Like, <laughs> you know, just for once. And and I realize that it's getting better, but we are still not there. And I'm not saying that like I hated Elizabeth Shue in this role. It's just that I'm so sick and tired of seeing women play hookers and we all have to be like, wow, brave choice. Like whenever a straight guy plays a gay guy and we're like, wow, like sacrificing his career for that. It's like, but Elizabeth Shue in this movie is a hooker with a heart of gold. They're uncompromising characters that refuse to stop hooking and stop drinking. And it's sort of a very uncompromising love story that is um, really boring. Not mm-hmm. really much happens except for a lot of awkward moments in public. Uh, but then in the last like 10 kind of minutes, it gets like really real. And then, you know, the ending is, well, not to give like a, you know, like a 20 something year spoiler, but yeah. the movie's called leaving Las Vegas. Cause he goes to Vegas to die. And when he dies, he's left Las Vegas. So he dies in the end. And it's the ending actually kind of made me appreciate this movie, but I got to be honest with you. I found this movie really fucking boring. It's, it's a long wreck and it's got definitely some boring parts and uh, some really, really out there stuff for uh, an actress 
who we'd never seen her like this before. You know, she's Mm -hmm. in the Karate Kid and, you know, like these other kind of movie cocktail and stuff. And this was really like her moment. She is really going for it in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Did you think so? She's talking to like a therapist off the top and intermittently. Okay, so I read that that was supposed to be one of those, like, it's up to the viewer. Oh, great. Because basically, she's not even wearing the clothes of her character. She's just, it's literally just Elizabeth Shue wearing Elizabeth Shue's clothes, but they're filming her and she's talking in the character. Yeah. Okay. So that was, for the record, they never clarified that. They just liked it. So they just intermittently cut it into the movie. Um, you know, I, I just, yeah, like, I know what you're saying. This was obviously a departure from something that they were probably used to seeing Elizabeth Shue in. Mm -hmm. I've never seen Cocktail. I've seen The Karate Kid, but I do not remember. I think Hilary Swank was in one of them. (laughs) Um, The reboot. (laughs) The reboot. The, uh, the adventures in, in babysitting, whatever. I, I have not seen this movie, but I will say that Elizabeth Shue in this movie she seemed a little too rich white woman yeah. to be a hooker for me. Yeah. But that also could be because through like a 2020, 2021 lens mm-hmm. perhaps, but she just seemed a little too like she's fresh out of the like Beverly Hills, Hollywood mansion. And she's like, okay, am I a hooker now? Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I got like high class call girl kind of more vibes, but then she's literally doing like the street walk on the Vegas Strip and open to all the dangers and craziness that that brings, which, you know, some of those things do happen to her character. But yeah, I I totally agree. Like, I don't know what the casting was or who else might have been up for this role. But uh, yeah, that's totally, totally the vibe. She's got this really abusive pimp. uh, But he, he sort of exits the picture, I guess, kind of violently off screen. And then she's sort of free, yeah. free to take up with this relationship with Nicolas Cage's character. But yeah, uh, you know, there's a scene in, near the end. She's like smoking a cig and they got the Dunkin' Donuts. She's sitting on the curb. I'm like, oh, that's it. Like, I kind of wanted to see more of that. Because otherwise, oh. she's kind of got this kind of okay apartment. And, you know, she's like doing okay. <laughs> a nice apartment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And, and that's the thing. Like, I'm not saying that hookers can't have nice apartments, mm. but I am just saying like, yeah, what were, like where she's eating the Dunkin' Donuts, spread eagle on the curb. Yeah. She has like a shiner. It's like, yeah. I think that that is maybe, because listen, in Toronto, I live close to Allen Gardens and yeah. that is next to Hooker Harvey's. Yep. And I have yep. had many a breakfast sandwich in that park yes. next to a hooker and her pimp. And uh, it it's rough. Yep. Okay, like it's it's not like most hooker pimp situations. They're not that glamorous. They're not that... gorgeous hair with like her roots done and like it like I just yeah I I guess that's really that comes down to casting but just in terms of her acting she went there you know like she definitely was it was it was a very good performance um after I watched the movie I had to have an immediate palate cleanser I put on third rock from the sun because I needed to like (laughs) You know, by the way, John Lithgow is a treasure. But anyway, just like I, it was a very depressing ending. And though I didn't really care for the movie, I found it quite boring. I think that when a when a performance can really like ugh, like gut you like that, I yeah. think that 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 says I think that speaks to a really good performance. Yeah, I finished it, and uh, my wife's working in the in the other room, and I said, "Yeah, like the ending isn't crazy, like especially with Nicolas Cage." And she's like, "What is he? He doesn't jump out of the airplane or what?" I'm like, "Right." <laughs> honeymoon in vegas yeah <laughs> and i know like back probably in the blockbuster days someone definitely rented the wrong movie and put yeah. it <laughs> like damn it <laughs> jessica parker <laughs> yeah seriously um you know it, the entire movie it's just this like slow descent into death yeah not really that much happens it's just a lot of embarrassing awkward moments uh including the ending nicholas cage is literally at death's door he's convulsing she finds him in the in the room and and then i guess they like make love in the end but he's like dead like he's like he's like <laughs> necrophilia territory i'm sorry she's on top of him trying to get him hard like what a wreck like he's he should be hospitalized yeah <laughs> 
yeah personality. And, and also wouldn't you want to know more about because his character was like a writer which yeah. is something that he's familiar i mean he plays it again in adaptation when like uh, 2003 or 2002 or whatever but you know it's like he was like a movie writer for like MGM and then like everything turned to shit. What I want to know is like, why did it turn to shit? Where, like, like what was his downfall? Like, why did he get into drink? Because he even says in the movie at one point, he's like, you know, something happened to me. I don't even remember what it was and I don't even care. Yeah. And you're like, I don't buy that. No. And the family and the estrangement divorce, and he has, I guess a son, it's never really dealt with that much. There's a picture uh, a bike in his apartment. And then like, I guess in the casino, he has this sort of uh, alcoholic hallucination flashback mm-hmm. where he's like uh, yelling about his son and stuff, but that's about it. But yeah, he's kind of like already so far gone by the time we meet him mm-hmm. up and in the supermarket for the liquor that uh, yeah. <laughs> it's hard, it's hard to know. I think those early scenes are kind of effective. Like the boss letting him go from the, his job was kind of like rough. And then he's harassing uh, Richard Lewis and Steven Weber in the restaurant for money everywhere mm. he goes it's the last time someone wants to see him he gets kicked out of all these bars and hotels and they they're like please never come back here like this guy is a pariah uh, yeah and just a disaster just that and it's because he is like death walking around yeah <laughs> that's very true um speaking of third rock from the sun yeah. the guy that french stewart uh who plays Harry Solomon is in this movie, uh, leaving Las Vegas oh. and his eyes are open for the very first time. So that's cool. Oh my, that's probably why I didn't recognize him. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Um, the only, the last little thing that I will say about this movie is just that like, she gave a really great performance. I, I just thought it was a bit miscast, but again, that's really more like yeah. casting agent and the makeup could have been better. But again, like I just hated how like sexy everybody was like, I drink a lot and I know the toll that alcohol can take on your body. Nicolas Cage was like ripped fuck right off. Like, right. right absolutely right. not. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I thought that she was um, a very sort of interesting sort of performance. The ending really convinced me and uh, I believed her in this role. I, I just, I just thought it was a little miscast to be honest with you, but really great performance. I'm right there with you. Yeah, but overall, like revisiting this movie, I know I saw it a really long time ago. Uh, I don't know if it still quite should have its place. Like, I think it's mm-hmm. like one of Roger Ebert's top ten of the '90s or something. It was, uh, it was a different time, and I think that's too. Like, the thing I love about your show is like looking back at these, you know, decades old movies through, like you said, like our lens today. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, I know, like, I think there were a few parts where, like, the director and the writer was like they want us to sort of laugh or like. It's uh, they're having like a date and it's a lighthearted moment, but these people are a wreck. Like they're made yeah. out in the casino by the slots machines. And there was one sort of background performer, like with the most disgusted face on. And I'm like, yes, that is how we would react. Like they're about to get thrown out. You know, <laughs> they're all over this. He can't even stand up. Like we've all yeah. seen this couple, um, you know, in Vegas or, or wherever. And, and it's, in Mexico, it's a wreck. Yeah. <laughs> definitely yeah, definitely uh, hats off to her i think uh, again she, i think she she was quite quite good she she was it was just kind of a boring movie yeah. so um speaking of vegas let's talk about sharon stone in casino oh, yeah. okay so just want to point out at the very beginning that um uh robert de niro wore a suit that i wore on tv and the second that i saw it bitch stole my look ah um now the one where he is uh, a suit when he has his talk show his character has the talk show no oh. he's doing a meeting with the divorce lawyer and he is like are you listening to me talking to talking to sharon Stone? it's like this mint green suit with like okay. and with like a black like little uh, pocket square and i was like oh my god bitch don't i look amazing and including for for her and and you know sharon stone's character's wardrobe definitely reflects where her character's at <laughs> oh absolutely okay so um casino i love this movie and i hate gangster movies yeah. casino is the story of robert de niro playing robert de niro as robert de niro you can imagine <laughs> and he basically is like a organized crime gangster and he's running a casino and sharon stone is like this super famous hustler in vegas and they you know get married and then obviously like it doesn't work out because of their lifestyles and there's a lot of violence and uh joe pesci of course plays joe pesci and um it's 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 not really about anything specific it's sort of just like about 
they said it's based on true events, but basically just, you know, the world of organized crime and all the fucked up things that go on in it. Now, Sharon Stone in this movie, up until this point in her career, Sharon Stone had been nominated for like a bunch of Razzie Awards, (laughs) but it really wasn't until Basic Instinct where like it kind of saved her. And Casino is her only Academy Award nominated performance, and she is incredible in this movie. The only thing going into it that I remembered about this movie was that she was forced to give Joe Pesci a blowjob, which frankly, if anybody had to do that on screen, I think she deserves an Oscar just for that. (laughs) And the thing that I thought was so amazing about Sharon Stone is because it's a long movie. It's like three hours long. It's an opera. Yeah, it it really is. Because, you know, Martin Scorsese. Yeah. what What I loved about this is basically Sharon Stone is like this rare exotic bird that Robert De Niro's character tries to kind of cage and it just you can't and it just doesn't work and everything that she does is kind of it's kind of Robert De Niro's fault because it's sort of like she told him going into it that it she's I'm not this girl I love the honesty of her character I love the rage of her character it was like probably the finest Sharon Stone performance to date. Yeah. And I I just love that she never lied about anything. Absolutely. Yeah, just going back to that De Niro thing. The first time he sees her, she's at the, the, the craps table there. And she gets in an argument with the guy gambling about her cut. And so she flips all of his chips up in the air and everyone scrambles. And it's a huge <laughs> melee. And Robert De Niro's like, mm, that's the girl for me. Mother of my children. <laughs> she's i that is so funny that you because i wrote that exact same thing down where it's like she's making it rain with poker chips (laughs) and robert de niro is like that couldn't have been more adorable (laughs) (laughs) and you're like okay well now there's chaos that has ensued you know yeah but you know i think she's her character is so straight up uh she wants to be protected financially they have the safety deposit box Uh, Yeah, I loved this movie. I had the double VHS forever. Like, I it's so authentic. And honestly, on repeated viewings, like I think of the shit Sharon Stone must have dealt with in Hollywood, getting her start and and her struggle and Ginger's like surviving and trying to to get her own. You know, Uh, I think it's really authentic. I don't think Sharon Stone did acting study for this role. I think she was just poured into it. You know, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, she, uh, was dodged by, cause she was asked to audition for this movie and Martin Scorsese canceled on her twice. So she just assumed that she was being ignored. So then when they asked her to audition the third time, she canceled and said, I'm going for lunch with a friend. And then apparently Martin Scorsese like went to this restaurant, like where she was and was like, okay, so this is what I'm thinking. And then power move. I love it. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure she probably loved that. Yeah. Um, You know, I I always love like a femme fatale, and that's really what she was in this movie. I think that Sharon Stone, if we're talking about a Vegas story, Sharon Stone is what I wanted like Elizabeth Shue to be. I realize realize that like she, it's sort of like you have a contrast of like a mess of a human being, Elizabeth Shue, Mm -hmm. and then you have like a glamorous mess, Sharon Stone in Casino. But I always like the glamorous mess. Oh, for sure. And yeah, absolutely. And her her wreckage is amazing at the sort of the halfway point and then everything, the downfall. But even when we meet Ginger, she's a smooth operator. She greases everyone mm-hmm. in the 20s. They say she knows how to make this town run. She takes care of the valet guys and the pit bosses and everyone. Uh, in many ways, those characters meeting each other is everyone's downfall. She's the downfall of Joe Pesci in a, right. a big, big way. But uh, but yeah, the the wreckage is amazing. Again, paired with the the jumpsuits and then her hair, different haircuts, and then the cocaine. The cocaine is the act break in a Scorsese movie. Once that character, like uh, with Ray Liotta <laughs> and Goodfellas, like it's over for them, and we're just yeah. watching this top spinning out of control. And the music is always amazing. Uh, yeah. It's just it's just so great. And then you know to the point where she ties down their kid because she wants to go be with James Woods. They're a pimp. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. I love whenever she gets caught with James Woods yeah. for the first time at the diner and she's like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and she like puts her head down and she knows that something really bad is about to happen. And it's like, 
you feel like the fear and the anxiety and the adrenaline of the moment. And you're like, oh my God, what is about to happen? She just, she seemed like a real person. She did. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think we need to worry or wonder too much about where she came from. Probably nowhere remarkable, but is in Mm -hmm. Vegas and found herself to be a hustler. And it's just this huge game. And uh, boy, just in perfect Scorsese style, like by the end, everyone's just wasted and fallen their own way, right? I don't think that it would be a Scorsese movie unless somebody was wearing giant tinted Coke bottle glasses. (laughs) Amazing. Every time. I'm always like, oh, there it is. Because the movie, we almost got through the entire movie without it. And I genuinely was like, oh, are we not going to see the giant tinted? And then De Niro was wearing them at the very end. And I was like, there it is. (laughs) And when De Niro, if you're going to the cigarette holder, it's over for your character. Like, (laughs) you've lost touch of yourself there. That's so funny. I kind of caught for the first time is uh, at the beginning, we meet Ginger. It's the poker chips in the air. And then as the voiceover explains, she goes and ends up with these bikers or drunkies. They give her a hot dose. Uh, so they kind of overdose her on purpose. And they say all she is left with was like thirty three thousand dollars in collector coins. And I was like, ah, chips to coins. You know, after all that, millions, it's right. right back to like coins and chips. I'm like, not bad, not bad. Yeah, it it was, yeah, this, it was a remarkable performance for her. Um, side note, though, uh, just off topic, but the scene at the end, the way that they killed Joe Pesci with the bats it. and they like bury him alive, I actually covered up my eyes and my ears because I don't really like gratuitous violence, no. but like that was disgusting. Disgusting. I agree. I can watch people get shot up. I don't care, but I cannot handle beatings in movies. I Mm -hmm. think about this scene all the time. I don't think there's another scene that I've ever watched that has grossed me out violently. Uh, I used to skip that part, but no, it's, it's horrendous and it goes on so much longer than it needs to. And I think that might be the point, but wow, it's, it's a lot. If, uh, if anyone hasn't seen it. (laughs) Yeah, it's disgusting, but her, you know, uh um ginger's character from from start to finish it it's like a full journey like it's like you really see like where but ugh, but i mean i realized it was the 90s but we did we need that like big mom bouffon that she had <laughs> that, like big it looked like a big cauliflower on her head with yeah. like the mullet like tails yeah. at the end it was like woof sure uh, chinchilla fur coat Oh, it looks so soft. How many chinchillas had to die for that? Oh my god. <laughs> She's like, what's up? Um but no, she uh, uh one more thing and then we'll we'll move on. But I, I loved when she was like backing up her Mercedes and driving it back into her car, back and forth, back and forth, and just like everybody in the neighborhood is looking at her, the police are there, and she just doesn't like relent. She's just like Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and De Niro's just making small talk with the cop. They're like, oh, another crazy Vegas wife is lost this morning. All right. Just so routine for them, eh? <laughs> I just, yeah, absolutely loved her in this movie. Okay. Um, now, let us talk about a little treasure that I like to call the Bridges yeah. of Madison County sure. starting Mal Strop. Yeah. So, first of all, dude, I just, I have to say, she moved me. Amazing. <laughs> this got the mom juices flowing. Francesca Johnson. <laughs> it was <laughs> such... Okay, so the first thing that we need to acknowledge is what the hell was the point mm. of intermittently cutting back and, to- back and forth between Tweedledee and Tweedledum, her fucking older children we were supposed to believe that these kids came out of meryl streep and they (laughs) acted like that (laughs) they were so painful it was like watching a really bad audition for the bridges of madison county it was so painful my wife said the same thing she says these two are in a different movie yeah yes What was the point? I have read so many reviews for this movie and we'll get into that, but literally nobody mentioned how those two were ruining it. (laughs) It was, it was like an after school special type of acting where they caught Billy for smoking. Right. He's like, I don't want her to be cremated. What? (laughs) 
or when he was like, have you been drinking? Yeah. And then he gets that evil smirk on his face. And then out of nowhere, he comically lifts up a bottle of liquor and he's like, not yet. Full it's bottle. like, ugh. Like, it, it was, it was, or, or like whenever they like open up, they were like, oh, they're like Robert Kincaid. Hmm. That must've been him. Ooh. And it's next to a picture with his gigantic name next to it. It's almost an eight by 10. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah. You like, really Columbo? Like you think? Like I couldn't, they, I was really stoned when I was watching this movie. And every time they cut back to it, I was in tears from laughter yeah. because I couldn't believe that Clint Eastwood would allow these people to be cast. I couldn't, when I think of the bridges of Madison County, it it was two different movies for me. Absolutely. The rest is so strong. And it's almost like he handed it off. He's like, you direct the B-plot or whatever, the device. Yeah. It, honestly, it feels like there's no hands on the wheel. It was like it, it was like a D-list Schmeryl Streep <laughs> and like a D-list like Schlint Eastwood. <laughs> it was like, what the fuck? And also, like, they didn't look anything like no. Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep literally has a kid that's an actor. <laughs> we couldn't have, I don't even know what her name is. Let's say her name is like Sally. We couldn't have cast oh, Sally. Wow. Like, yeah. Fuck off. Like, okay. <laughs> Anyway, that, we needed to get that felt very cathartic. I loved everything he said. <laughs> it was it was so painful. But anyway, um, didn't it didn't ruin the movie for me because it's Meryl. Meryl is like, OK, anyway, this movie got the mom juices flowing. Oh I always love like a steamy forbidden romance. One of my wow. favorite things about this movie, reading all the reviews for this. Oh, by the way, if anybody doesn't know what this movie is, OK, oh. you should kill yourself and revoke <laughs> your gay card. But like, literally, the 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 this movie is about an Italian immigrant who is living on a farm in Iowa, and then a sexy photographer. Although Clint Eastwood literally looks like a skeleton in the flesh, <laughs> but Clint Eastwood comes along, and then she suddenly starts to question her love for her family, and she yearns to uh, go on an adventure with this this new sexy man that she has this instant love with that she has known for two days. Yep. Um, and the bridges of the reason why it's called the bridges is because he's a photographer for national geographic and he takes, he's taking photos of the bridges of Madison County. Okay. It's also a symbol for that love. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. I love the review of the movie. It was, uh, Oh, where is it? I, I, uh, oh my God, I like wrote this down. Oh yeah. Uh, the reviews, it was all for men. Yeah, of course. And it was whatever happened to morals. Whoa. <laughs> it's like, okay, first of all, that's the point of the movie. You yeah. fucking dink. Yeah. It's like going to see a war movie and being like, whatever happened to peace? <laughs> what did you think you were going to see? You fucking dink. Like, that's what the, that's the point of the movie. It's supposed to be like a forbidden romance. Like, fuck off. Like, it's not for you. If you don't like it, like, fuck off. Now, because they um, show us this other character who has been outed as having an affair and she is shunned by the town. Yeah, it's like they already did that. It's called Butterfield 8 with Elizabeth Taylor, 1959. Right. Um, but, uh, okay, here we go. Meryl Streep, absolutely brilliant. They said that her accent was bad. No, it was actually regionally specific. And it's fucking Meryl Streep. Do you really think that she would actually, from Sophie's Choice, do you really think that she wouldn't do her research to find out the specific accent? Also, she speaks fluent Italian. Whenever she was up for the role of King Kong, uh, 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 with Jessica Lang that it ended up being with. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever she went in for the audition, the guy, the director, was Italian and said that she was she was ugly and disgusting, and how dare she be considered for this role? I, and then she responded back in perfect Italian, and that was in the seventies. She was mm -hmm. literally like, "Oh, I guess I'm not good enough for King Kong," <laughs> and she like was like, "You know, fuck you," but like, fuck off. The accent was on point. It's Meryl Streep. <laughs> it worked for me. Um. I just love this movie. The, the, just everything about like the acting, how she's she's such a sympathetic character when she's doing something that's so like forbidden. Mm -hmm. um, like I, you're like you're rooting for her, but obviously she's quite conflicted. Yes. He what did you think about this movie? Oh, I I loved it. I mean, I think it's just so. It's this beautiful time capsule. They they tell you right off the top it's going to be four days. They had four days together. 
and to see that that quick bond and then to the to the struggle where they realize they're trapped you know she's very jealous of Clint Eastwood's romantic life as a traveling uh, photographer and she thinks he's gonna leave this and go on and have other women and while she's this simple stuck in Iowa uh, like homemaker um, and I guess it sets us up like we're supposed to think like well they should just leave it because if if they end up together, then she'll always wonder about her family and it's a heartbreak all around. So we mm-hmm. kind of know there's maybe no choice, but this isn't going to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, they keep us kind of hanging on to the end where they see him in the rain on the street. She's with her husband. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it, it totally works. I think the tension between them is amazing. I, I, I was wondering about all the husbands and wives that went to see this in the theater back in the day and then they get in the car. Like, is that a quiet ride home? Like... <laughs> All the husband's like, uh, we're good, right, babe? <laughs> like, we don't really get to know her husband. They go off to the fair with the kids. That's the device. But he's just a straight up guy, right? But, you know, yeah. she is, you know, her heart is taken to a new level with him. And uh, I love it. I love the first time they touch. She's fixing his shirt on the phone. And it's on, man. It's uh, it's full steam ahead. I get, I get the sensation that this movie is. Yeah. I, I think what I liked is that they presented her husband in such a... He's never hurt a man and he's never hurt somebody in his life. Like she doesn't hate her husband. Nope. She's like, no, he's a good man. She doesn't say anything bad about her family or anything nope. like that. It's just that she's suddenly like overwhelmed yeah. with like steamy love feelings for yeah. Clint Eastwood. Um, special. Yeah. I think that that's life, man. I think that's a pretty realistic situation for like mm-hmm. a relationship in a film for sure. Yeah. I think, I think going back to the point that you said about those like quiet car ride home yeah. after the theater. I think that it's probably those like boyfriends or husbands that wrote those reviews where it's like, whatever yeah. happened to moral stoner. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, the only thing that I will say that just, I really didn't enjoy was when Meryl Streep and Clint Eastwood would like make out. Yeah. It was very uncomfortable. It and was like directing. So Clint's directing that kiss, right? Yeah. It, it was just a lot of like, <laughs> It was like, ugh, and like, I don't, I think all actors should take like a making out course because, but, oh my God, Meryl Streep, like, you can feel her pain in every scene and the scene whenever um, that like random woman comes by and she's like, I told my Mm. husband that I'm going to see my girlfriend for the afternoon and that's all there is to it. And then she has to like entertain her and then Clint Eastwood has to hide upstairs. upstairs. Yeah. Yeah, and she doesn't kick the girl out, and I she know. and she's just like, oh, she's like, oh, and you can see that she fucking hates it, yeah. but she also like has no choice. Oh, I feel yeah. like that would be very hard to like emote. Yeah, and and as an audience, we're like, you get that neighbor out of there, because <laughs> we know time is ticking ticking away. Uh, yeah, that, that's a killer moment. I love that part. Um, I yeah. I think that it's I think that um, I've talked about this before in the podcast. I think that one of the hardest things to do is when you can act without saying anything. Yeah, yeah. And she is just like the master of that because you feel how she's trapped. Yeah. There is. There, I had a guest on previously. His name is uh, Bill Antonio, and he's kind of like my classic Hollywood expert. Mm-hmm. And um, or he is a classic Hollywood expert. And um, uh, he said something uh that is so accurate. He said. The great thing about Meryl Streep is that she always knows what movie she's in. Ah, key. And it's like, because, you know, you look at friggin' Tweedledee and Tweedledum that, like, <laughs> they, they, I don't know where the hell, they. that was like a Hallmark movie after school special. I don't know what the hell movie they were in. Almont. <laughs> but, like, exactly. But, like, Meryl Streep is, like, just knocking it out of the park, out of the park. The only thing is that I just, I hated the ending because if she stayed with Clint Eastwood, yeah. her kids would never have had to have found out and it would have, it would have spared us the abortion I, of that acting I, job of them of finding movie. out. So, so true. I, I agree, man. That, that's nonverbal stuff. Like when the phone rings and they're together, it's like, is she going to answer it? It's like, they look at each other. It's, it's, it's amazing. My, my big time Meryl Streep crush moment is in the deer hunter where Mira mm. comes back and Meryl Streep's been with Christopher Walken, who isn't coming back because he's doing Russian roulette stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and he goes and knocks on her trailer and the door opens and her face, she goes, oh my God, Michael, like that for me, like is just killer. But again, it's it's been said a million times, but I, that is not the person I'm watching in Bridges of Madison County. That's not right. the woman I'm watching in Adaptation or, or Iron Lady, like 
there is a reason she has all these uh, you know uh, awards and everything it's just that she's that good and it almost becomes boring to talk about but yes she is that good speaking or yeah. not yeah and the fact that trump called her overrated is just another That's reason why he's fine, but you know she's awesome <laughs> yeah. uh, she's she's it's incredible she's a genius mm-hmm. um okay uh let's talk about our winner yeah. susan sarandon for dead man walking so this was Susan Sarandon's last Academy Award nomination. It was also Susan's only Academy Award win, which I think is kind of sad mm-hmm. because, you know, Thelma and Louise was just so incredible and so groundbreaking. And um, I really don't think that people were expecting her to win this Oscar. You know, Sharon Stone won the Golden Globe. Uh, they weren't even nominated for a BAFTA. Yep. Um, it, it could have been also the timing of when this was released. I'm not certain. But the thing is, is that... I feel like Susan Sarandon was kind of just due. Yeah. I think that this was her yeah. fifth fifth Oscar nomination. She'd been nominated for The Client, Lorenzo's Oil, um, Atlantic City, I think it's called, and Thumb and Louise. Yeah. And yeah. Um, Dead Man Walking is the story of, a, of a, a true story, apparently, of a nun who is there to be a spiritual advisor guide to somebody that is a rapist and a murderer and he's about to be executed, Sean Penn. And also, Shel- Sean, <laughs> if you've never seen Dead Man Walking, just before we jump into it, Sean Penn had like an unlimited supply of like Vidal Sassoon mousse. Like this quaff. His hair was like perfectly quaffed through the entire movie. And uh, just mwah, Sean Penn to that hairdo. I, I loved that big bouffant. That and, was nice. And when you first started talking, I was like, am I going to have to put on these closed captions or am I going to get used to this Louisiana accent? Like, Oh my God, I put on the subtitles. I couldn't understand him. I was like, what? Like I, he was muttering. I couldn't. I couldn't. I'm very good at understanding accents. I mean, for Christ's sake, my boyfriend is from Ireland. And sometimes yeah. you're like, but... But I literally I, couldn't understand a single word that he's saying. a little jail sale. <laughs> <laughs> so I caught the hang of it, but that was rough at first. Yeah. Yeah. Susan Sarandon's character. This is a real person. I, I thought at Ellen? first I was like, it's kind of weird that she's like this rich white woman from a plantation right. who decided to be a nun and live in the ghetto, but right. she actually apparently did. And I find that commendable. I think that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. The movie soundtrack was completely wrong for the movie. Yeah. Uh, Okay. And then um, Susan Sarandon's, the reason why Susan Sarandon was so amazing in this movie is because the majority of her, of her performance is actually really spent listening. Absolutely. And reacting. And Susan Sarandon, it is, um, is, is, I love Susan Sarandon. I, I think that she's so, this was a movie where I didn't really write down much. I just watched it. I just paid attention to it. I just listened. And not just because this was the only movie that I paid to rent. <laughs> but because I found that her performance was very captivating. She's conflicted. You know, everybody is like, how dare you spend time with somebody that like raped my daughter and yeah. killed my son. Yeah. And, you know, he... As Sean Penn's character even lies to her and is like, I didn't do anything. Yeah. And then we're, as the viewer, supposed to believe that for a little bit. And um, uh, great performance by Sean Penn, by the way. Fantastic. And it just, I loved this movie. It From start to finish, great film. Susan Sarandon was, um, was so brilliant in this movie. I am so happy that she has an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Uh, to her name, I feel like she should just have more. I think she's such a great actor, but the only thing that I didn't care for in this movie is, do you remember whenever near the end, whenever it's like the final countdown, he's about to be taken to the lethal injection site and she has her face pressed against the bars. Yeah. And she's like, it almost seemed a little like my boyfriend is about to die. Yeah. I, I was interested in that too. Cause it's like kind of this, the thick glass with the holes that you're talking to each other in? No, no, no. Whenever oh. she had the, the, it was, it was bars. Okay. It was whenever he was still, it was like the final countdown whenever yeah. like she only had a few minutes left. Right, 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 right. Or he had a few minutes left. <laughs> they were going to yeah. kill Susan Sarandon. I guess she's dead. It's <laughs> right. <laughs> Trick. Um, but uh, what, did, anyway, what did you think about this movie? Oh, um, 
Loved it. Uh, I remember seeing it quite a while ago, but boy, was that ever a treat to revisit. Um, she is in every scene except for, I believe, the, the flashbacks to the crimes. And I love that 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 POV that we follow that. I love that we never saw Sean Penn in prison just like by himself, smoking cigarettes all day, doing his hair. Uh, <laughs> she is... Uh, she's got every note. She she is set up as you know this uh, you know basically a saint almost. She's Sister Helen. Um, she's getting some pushback left and right. And then let's talk like these scenes where she goes to the the teenage victims' parents uh, separately uh, holds a lot about what the the film is about and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that scene where she the the couple assumes that she's changed her mind or has come to their way. And she says, no, like I'm still going to see him. And I, I still don't think uh, killing for killing is right. And it's like, boom, like get out of our house. Like that was like a huge, a huge part. I, I love that scene. There's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of anger towards Susan Sarandon that sometimes mm-hmm. I felt was a little, again, I don't know how, how true this story is, yeah. you know, I don't know what was, what was real and what, what wasn't, but um, there was a lot of like hostility toward her character that I often kind of was like, she's a fucking nun. Even it's from the, prison, the prison priest is really rotten to her. You're like, who's oh, this fucking asshole? <laughs> I know. It's like, oh my God. And I, I, I didn't care. I, I did think it was kind of funny though, whenever he was like, why aren't you wearing your abbot? And yeah. then she like shot back with what the Pope said That's and right. how she didn't mean to wear it. And I was like, good for you. The Bible sparring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Bible sparring. She's like, yeah, they also say that adulterers and people that like, like covet other people's wives need to be put to death too. What do you have to say about that? Or people that steal. And then he's like, whoa. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> um, but the only, yeah, really the only, the only, moment truly where Susan Sarandon lost me in her character. Um, and I, you know, this was just a, this is just a little tiny personal thing. It's just the way that she was leaned up against the bars and yeah. she was like, it, it, it just, it looked like she was like in love with him. And, and I didn't love the way, I mean, again, the actor interprets it in their own way, but I didn't love that little part, but otherwise I just really liked the, um, how the families would yell at her and she wouldn't back down, but she would, she wouldn't back down in sort of like a, a way where she's like, I completely understand where these people are coming from, but like, I have my duty as a nun and to God. And um, I, I, it was a really great performance from her and it was such a good movie. Uh, the only thing that might've taken me out of this is there is an appearance from uh, a very young Jack Black. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> and Bobby from scary movie. I was like, uh, <laughs> Jack Black, I I said, what the fuck? I said, <laughs> I know. I just kind of did too. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Louisiana doesn't seem like the greatest spot. Um, one of my favorite, my favorite show is uh, True Detective season one. And I have to think the creator uh, loved Dead Man Walking. Uh, the landscapes and the, this Louisiana. In, in the series, they're always talking about Algoma, the prison where Sean Penn is. Uh, it literally, it looks like hell on earth, uh, this, this environment. Wow. Where even like the prison guards are like, "Yep, it's my job. I kill them." Like, <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. Oh wow. Did you know um, that whenever a prisoner is being executed, they have to flip two switches so that it's randomized because two different officers or prison people, guards or whatever, each one flips a switch so that it's randomized of Whoa. like who like kills oh. it because it then that way not one person is responsible for killing the, the enemy. Is so interesting like yeah they can kind of have a more clear conscience about it wow that's so interesting wow yeah yeah, yeah. dark dark stuff uh, really dark yeah but yeah there is a there is a bit of a flirty vibe you're you're right between them and and he kind of has one near near the top and this is like you know she's worn like they're not around women a lot you know these prisoners and stuff so what do you expect i guess <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there was a part. Yeah, yeah, uh, where they're they're talking sort of through the glass and the way it's lit. It's like um, she looks like a total lit up angel over his shoulder, and mm-hmm. then in the reverse, he with that goatee and hair looks like Lucifer over hers. <laughs> it just it struck me. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You know, there's a lot of uh, that religious stuff here. Yeah, no, I uh, and you know, I mean, I I personally am not. Uh... A, a religious person. I'm very pro religious freedom. Believe in whatever you want to believe. Yeah, in your act. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I would definitely say that uh, I usually don't really care. I find that most religious stories tend to be movies like Doubt yeah. or like Spotlight. Yep. You know what I'm saying? But then uh, this was kind of a very interesting story from the perspective of a nun. And I, it was a really wonderful performance and I loved it. And I'm really glad that you know, she won her Oscar, but uh, I think that we have to decide who we're going to pick. Yes. Yeah. So I'm actually going to give you the plaisir of going first and picking who you think that the Oscar should have gone okay. to. <clears throat> I think the Oscar should have gone to... Susan Sarandon. I agree with the Academy's choice. I think it's a fantastic performance. She completely uh, embodies this role, carries the whole picture. And uh, I think uh, if you're thinking an Oscar caliber movie and performance, uh, this is it. One for the ages. You know, I, I, uh, I love that. What I found so interesting was that she, I think, won the Screen Actors Guild Award and she won the Oscar. But leading up to award season, like she wasn't like cleaning house, no. you know, and normally that's kind of how it is these days. And you look back on that and I find that kind of more interesting whenever yeah. you're like, who is going to win? Because this particular year, it was a bit up in the air. It was like, who is going to win this Oscar? And when she did her speech, she can hardly breathe. She's like well, hyperventilating. And uh, yeah. And she says, cause Tim Robbins, her partner uh, directed it and uh, says it's a good thing we live together to share this because I think, you know, I don't he didn't win or anything. He <laughs> went for Mystic River, which was another oh, movie. With yeah, yeah, that's right. So he had, he he had his coming then. That's good. <laughs> you know, that's it's so funny that you said that about her being like she couldn't breathe yeah. because I actually, when I was watching the acceptance speech with Susan Sarandon, I literally said to Daniel out loud, I was literally like, why is it that every time that somebody wins an Oscar, they're like out of breath? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two steps, honey. Like yeah. it's, you're fine. You got it. They're worried, um, yeah, they're worried about that music playing and cutting them off. I guess. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go ahead and say who I think should have won. So, <clears throat> I think that the Oscar should have gone to. Sharon Stone in Ooh, Casino. Very good. I am so glad that you said Susan Sarandon because that obviously would have been, for me, it was kind of a tie, but I don't believe in ties. So it would have been, I would have loved to have picked Susan Sarandon, but Sharon Stone right. to me was really like, you saw her journey from start to finish. Yep. She seemed like a living, breathing person. There wasn't one second that I thought that she was Sharon Stone. Nope. She was ginger throughout the whole movie. I thought that she didn't play it big and she easily could have because she's kind of a hysterical woman and she played the role in such a specific way that I think up until that point in her career, I think that people were kind of writing her off as kind of just being not that great of an actress. Yeah. And she kind of came in with this and it was like, oh my God. And um, do you think I made it today? I don't think Scorsese gives voiceovers to his women actors, um, but like, she to be able to hold her own and get recognized for this part in in a movie especially that's so male dominated and ginger is looked at the whole time like kind of like through the male gaze like through ace and and, and nikki uh and like joe pesci and robin they get these voiceovers we get to learn more about the characters so really she did more with less tools to tell her story she did it all with the scenes very very true and i think that uh, margot robbie is now oh yes Martin. yeah in stone does she get vo's um, i don't know she didn't get any vo's in wolf of wall street no i think she doesn't do it yeah i haven't seen that movie in so long yeah. but uh, not just because of an amazing performance from sharon stone but yeah. just the fact that she had to go down on joe pesci give oh. the poor girl oscar i just feel like that's more than enough so all right there we go that Ooh. concludes another episode of best actress uh david brennan where can people find you online oh sure uh instagram's good uh, at brennan david n uh, that's where I post my stand-up and my storytelling and all that good stuff. Okay, David Brennan, thank you so much for being oh, a guest. So we much fun, thank you. Back and uh, uh, stay safe in the pandemic. And I will see you when I see you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kyle. Take care. Bye.